Welcome to the Reach Podcast with your teacher, Pastor Taylor Gabbard. In the literary masterpiece written by J.R.R. Tolkien called The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, subsequently made into a cinema masterpiece by Peter Jackson. The heroes have discovered that their longtime ally, by the name of Saruman, has betrayed them. And he has made a massive army to attack them with. So a small band of humans, they take cover in a fortress known as Helm's Deep. And as they're settling in, as they're moving to that fortress, Gandalf, one of the best characters in the series, he tells them he's going to go get reinforcements. And he says, Look to my coming on the first light of the fifth day. At dawn, look to the east. Later on, the largest army in a thousand years in Middle-earth closes in on Helm's Deep, and the defenders settle in for what will be the longest night of their lives. In that scene, Tolkien captures a unique truth in our lives. The forces of evil and darkness overwhelm us during the long, cold nights. We lay in our bed, and our only fortress is our covers. And all of life's horrors begin to close in around us. Temptation is always worse at night. Lust, anxiety, anger, depression, they become giants in the darkness. And that's just... The real darkness, I haven't even mentioned yet, when your spirit is in spiritual darkness. Because that darkness doesn't recede with the sunrise. See, when you're in spiritual darkness, you are under siege constantly. All day, every day. Do you know what not enough people in your life have told you? Not enough people in your life have told you that this world is broken and that the spiritual darkness is closing in to overwhelm and destroy you. You can't make enough money. You can't have a perfect enough career. You can't get famous enough. You can't get married to the perfect enough person. You can't attain perfect enough health. You can't be educated or accomplished enough. You can't even be numb enough to stop the darkness from overtaking you. Not enough people in your entire life have told you that you can't try hard enough and you aren't smart enough. Nothing that you can do will ever save you from this darkness. It's coming for all of us, and deep down, we all know it. We need 
to be rescued. We need a Savior. See, we're in a series on the book of Malachi, and we are looking at the outward signs that reveal the inward condition of our hearts. We looked at the ungrateful heart, a heart that scoffs when God says, I love you. We looked at the refined heart, a heart acting like Christ because it has been given to God. And then we looked at the worldly heart, a heart acting like the world because it's been given to the world. What we've learned is that our actions expose our beliefs. What we want is that our beliefs determine our actions. And that is, in fact, true. The problem is we very often have lied to ourselves about what we actually believe. How do you know what you believe? Look at how you're acting. What comes out of you reveals and exposes what's truly in you, what you actually care about. If I believed God's plan was perfect, I'd stop panic dating everybody in my immediate vicinity. I'd stop making school and career decisions without asking God at all. And I'd stop living my life my way while ignoring this book that has all of the answers. See, if I believed in an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God, I would believe that he was capable of getting his message across. And that when he says that this book answers all of life's questions, he wasn't lying. If I believed that, I would turn to this instead of all of the things the world tells me will solve my problems. Tonight, I want to ask this question. What does a righteous heart look like? What does a rescued heart look like? The sunrise often represents new hope. Whether that's literature or movies, we know that the sunrise is when things turn, things get better when the darkness recedes, and fire often represents the end of hope, the judgment. Look with me, Malachi chapter 4, starting in verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of armies, so that it will leave them neither root nor branches. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, S-U-N, the son of righteousness, will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and frolic like calves from the stall, and you will crush the wicked underfoot, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I am preparing, says the Lord of armies." Arrogant and evildoers, they'll be like chaff. Chaff is the part of plants that's worthless. It's withered or it's, it's uh, the waste. It's the part that floats away in the wind or falls off or, or dies in any amount of heat and sunlight. The chaff is the worthless part of the plant. And he says that the evildoer will be whole in chaff. 
There won't be any part of them that is useful. They will all be worthless. Every part of them will be worthless. And not only that, not only will they be this worthless and withered part, but they will be set ablaze. Even the chaff will be burned. See, John the Baptist later would tell us that he baptized with water, but God baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, on the last day, fire will baptize all of creation. And you know what will survive that baptism? Only what has been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Only what is in Christ, what has an eternal value to it, only what isn't withered and worthless will survive the burning that comes with the return of Christ. Everything else will be like chaff. And then we see one of the greatest words in the Bible. Every time you see it, well, almost every time you see it, you should be encouraged by this word. It says, but for those who fear the name of the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It means the fear of being on the opposing side of God. See, the question is, do you fear men more than you fear God? Do you fear missing out more than you fear God? Do you fear not being in control more than you fear God? See, because you will obey whatever you fear. And if you have a fear of being on the wrong side of God then you will obey him. And I want to point this out. To the believer, there's an added element. To the believer, we not only fear being on the opposing side, but we fear missing out on him. We fear being separated from that grace and that love that we've experienced. The reason that believers deal so often with this assurance of salvation, anxiety, it's based in a fear that I might be separated from God's grace. And when you've experienced that grace, there is nothing more terrifying than being separated from it. See, in Lord of the Rings, after this long night of fighting in Helm's Deep, when all seemed lost, one of the best characters, Aragorn, He's fighting in the battle, and he remembers Gandalf's words. He looks to the east, and he sees the sun rising. And with it, he sees the reinforcements that have come to rescue them. See, no matter how long the night is, no matter how overwhelming, God has promised us a rescue. I need you to understand See, what, what, the book of, what the people who were reading the book of Malachi originally, what they didn't get to see that you do get to see is that the rescue has already taken place. Jesus came and provided a way to not be swallowed by the darkness. See, they were promised it was coming, but you're promised that it's already happened. You get to look back and see that the rescue attempt has already been completed. 
Jesus was already successful. He has rescued us. It says, on the last day, God's righteousness. I need you to understand this. It says, God's righteousness will rise like the sun. That term, if we look in Romans, it doesn't mean God's uh, holiness. It doesn't mean that God is in right standing with himself. That is true. But God's righteousness is his plan to make us right with him. See, God's righteousness is actually his plan to save. So what it's saying there is that on the last day, God's plan to save, to redeem, God's plan to make us right with him, it will rise like the sun bathing all of creation. It will pour over every last inch. And it will, like the wings of a mother bird, protect and heal those who belong to it. It will be the final protection. His protection will wash over those who fear him. If you've ever looked at a video of a, of a baby cow, calf, being released from a stall after a long period of time in the darkness and the cramped space, they go crazy. They immediately begin jumping up and down and running around in circles. They have the greatest time. It looks like a moment of pure bliss. It's like the happiest thing you could ever witness. That is the imagery here. It says in that moment when God's righteousness uh, rises like the sun and bathes us with his healing and his protection, we will frolic like free calves. And not only that, but that same sun will rise, reveal the hearts of men, burn away the chaff, and as we frolic underfoot, will be whatever's left of the wicked. Because nothing about them was eternal. In Isaiah 60, verse 19, it says, No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor will the moon give you light for brightness, but you will have the Lord as an everlasting light and your God as your glory. Your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane, for you will have the Lord as an everlasting light, and the day of your morning will be over. Then all your people will be righteous. They will possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. The smallest one will become a thousand, and and the least one a mighty nation. I, the Lord, will bring it about quickly. In its time. See, when the sun of righteousness rises on creation and bathes his people in his healing, it will never set again. There will never be another long night. There will never be another cold night. He will save us for eternity and it will be settled. Your fortress will no longer be your covers. You ever hang a leg like too far off the bed? You feel like something's going to grab it? Right, Because all you have to defend yourself is your blanket. That's the best you've got. Here's what I'm telling you. When the Lord returns, you will never feel vulnerable again. 
You will never feel stranded. You will never feel alone. You will never lie awake at night and wonder what will be. Because the God of all the universe will be covering you in his wings forever. When the sun rises on the last day, it will expose the hearts of men. So if I can't do anything, what do I do to be rescued, to be righteous? Look at verse 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, my, uh, the law of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Okay, I need you to understand something here. This is the only place in the Old Testament that we are commanded to remember the law. It's a unique command. It stands alone. We're told to remember the Lord told to remember a lot of other things. This is the only place we're told to remember the law of Moses. So we need to discuss what it means to remember the law. I'm going to give you three things. And these three things encompass what it means to remember the law. The first one, remembering means doing. Remembering means doing. If you were at work and your employer was head out the door and said, hey, remember to take out the trash. And the next day came back in and the trash hadn't been taken out. And they said, you forgot to take out the trash. You think your defense would stand if you went, I didn't forget. What does that mean? <laughs> I just didn't do it. I, just, I remembered. I just said, I don't like you. So th- th- that, wouldn't, that wouldn't work, right? See, remembering in Old Testament context, it means to obey. It means to do. So when we remember the law of Moses, we do it. Okay, I just told you you can't do anything. Now I'm telling you to do it, right? Okay, I, listen, I know that to, to a certain extent, there's some things that if you, especially if you come to Sunday school, there's some things you hear me say over and over again. You know why? Because you guys don't get it yet. <laughs> and I'm going to keep saying it until I see the light bulbs go off in everybody's brains, okay? So hear me out on this. The law was never meant to be a series of regulations that we just kept by the letter. That's not the point. See, the New Testament looks back at the law, and it calls it the royal law. It calls it the law of liberty. And it sums it up in two commands. The greatest command, love the Lord your God. And the second greatest command, love your neighbor. Right? And then the New Testament goes even further to say that how do we know we love the Lord our God? Because we love our neighbor. See, here's the reality. You can't love people in a real and genuine way unless you can see them the way God sees them. And you can't see people the way God sees them unless you love him. When you begin to love others the way that God loves them, it is because you love him. If you are loving others, it is revealing your heart. It is exposing who you serve. And I I, want to take this that last step. I love asking the question, how do you love another person? And every one of you will give me uh, 
what you think the right answer is, right? I get a lot of, well, you know, do you die for them? Anything from you die for them all the way to like, you know, you bake them cookies. Like I, I get all kinds of answers from you. And, and let's, let's line this out. Whether you bake them cookies or you die for them, if the next day they die and go to hell, what have you done? Nothing. You've done nothing. Do you want to know how you love other people? You introduce them to the God of all the universe. If your life and your actions and your words are not leading people to Jesus, you are not loving them. It's that simple. So if you want to remember the law, love others. The second one is to remember is to meditate on. It's to make it a priority. In Romans uh, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're told not to be conformed, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You know how you renew your mind? You feed it the word of God. This transforms who we are. If you are not meditating on this, meditating in this, dwelling in this, you are not being transformed, you're being conformed. I want you to see it like this. It's the difference between passive and active. Do you know what you have to do to be conformed to the ways of the world? Absolutely nothing. If you do nothing, you will become like the world. But if you will dwell in the word of God, you will be changed, transformed to be like Christ. See, here's the thing. We fill our minds with Instagram and Netflix shows and influencers and rap singers, rap rappers, rappers. <laughs> but if we would fill our minds with the word of God, that's what we would emulate. We would be like Christ. The third thing to remember is to put your hope and your only hope in salvation and deliverance, in a rescue. See, here's the reality. You can't love people enough. You can't love God enough. You don't have what it takes. See, the problem is, no matter how much you love God in your spirit, your flesh is warring against it at all times. It is trying to take you away from the Lord. To remember the Lord is to repent. To remember the law is to look at all the ways that you have failed and beg God to forgive you for your sin. Do you want to remember the Lord? Remember the law? Take your sin before him and repent. What is the dividing line between those who God remembers and those who God forgets? Those who fear his name and remember his deliverance, he will remember forever. We need to be rescued. We need to be made righteous. But who will rescue us? Look at verse 5. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers so that I will not come and strike the land with complete destruction. 
Elijah. Who is Elijah? Now, we talked about this uh, before in this series. There is room for this idea that Elijah, the full fulfillment of that prophecy has not happened yet. That somewhere in the end times, there will be a return of the prophet Elijah. Here's the bottom line. I don't know. We don't know. Like, we're guessing at best, right? We're looking into the future, and we're trying to predict. And, and God has this amazing way of giving prophecy that we only look back on and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense, right? So what we do know is that the New Testament refers to John the Baptist as at least a partial fulfillment of Elijah. When John the Baptist came, he began preparing the way for the Lord. Now, he was preparing the way for the righteous judge. And then there's this weird line about parents, about fathers turning back to children, children turning back to fathers. And it's confusing, but it's meant as a summary statement. See, I once heard a a man say that his love for his wife was voluntary, but his love for his children was involuntary. If you think about that, it makes sense, right? You choose somebody to marry, but when you have a kid, there's no choice in the matter. You look at that kid, and you just have a love for them. Now, we live in a broken world, and I understand that not all parents love their children perfectly, but we know that's what it should look like. We know that's the right answer. See, what he's saying is children and fathers having broken fellowship is, is the epitome. It's the quintessential view of an unnatural conflict, of a broken relationship that should not be broken. It even represents what? Us as children being in broken relationship with our father. See, the example given there is that this relationship that should be the easiest to have, that should never be broken, parents to their children, it's been broken. And yet, God is making a way for those relationships to be reconciled, for the world to be turned right side up before he comes. See, the prophet comes before the Lord to change the way the people relate to God when he comes back. See, we talked about this last week as well. The first and second coming of the Lord, they look drastically different to us because one's already happened and one hasn't happened, and then we try to match up all the specific verses. But in the Old Testament, they, they, they referred to them very similarly, but almost as single events. Why? Because when God looks at them, he doesn't see a difference. See, Jesus coming the first time was as bad for evil as Jesus coming the second time will be. It doesn't make a difference, right? Jesus coming is good news for those who repent and believe, for those who will not be like chaff on the last day. Not enough times in your life Have you been told that it's hopeless? See, you've been led to believe a lie that there's things you can do and latch hold of and change and get satisfaction from. You've been sold a bill of goods called the American dream. And that dream is supposed to fulfill you, supposed to satisfy you. 
I read statistics today that said overwhelmingly college-age kids want one thing from their lives, more stuff. They want money, and they want power, and they want to use those things to have bigger toys. Because what we've been told in our culture is that the person that dies with the most stuff wins. Just think about that for a second. What does the person who dies with the most stuff get? Nothing. Nothing at all. See, Jesus said to save your life, you have to lose it. I need you to hear me on this. There is no way to save yourself, and there is no way out of the darkness. There is no hope apart from Jesus. There is nothing beyond His loving embrace. There is nothing. When the world is swallowing you up, I need you to understand, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is nothing apart from him. If you are putting your hope in anything else in this world, including your own faith that you believe hard enough, you're going to miss it. Our faith is that he has saved us. That is the gospel. Second Corinthians 4, starting in verse 7. It says, But we have this treasure in earthen containers, so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. When the cold, dark night swallows up believers, it doesn't win. But if you are laying in bed at night, putting your hope in the things of this world, the cold, dark nights will crush you. They will overtake you. They will win. Romans 3, 38 and 39 says, for, am I, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You want to talk about hope? Those two passages are about hope that only believers can have. A hope that's in Jesus Christ. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be taken. And it, nothing in this world or the next can prevent us from being saved if we put our hope in Jesus Christ. Real hope is not in a career, 
It's not in drugs. It's not in perfect health. It's not in sex. It's not in marriage. It's not in school. And it's not in money. Hope is only and forever in the name of Jesus Christ. If you're a non-believer, if you don't know Jesus, if you realize that your hope is in something besides the name of Jesus, I want this to be partially the most hopeless message you've ever heard. Because I want you to look at all the things that you put your hope in and see that they have nothing for you. And then I want you to see the true hope. That unless you surrender yourself fully to the God of all the universe who loves you so much that he came here in person to die for you, and then he lives still, unless you put your hope in him, you have no hope. If you're a believer, but you have let yourself be distracted by from your Savior, from your Savior by the things of this world. I want to encourage you tonight to surrender those things. What do you have your fingers clenched around? The perfect career, the perfect marriage. Are you going to be an influencer when you grow up? Are you going to be a celebrity? Are you going to party enough? If you are a believer and you have an idol, idols don't get demoted, they get burned. We chop them up and we set them on fire because they are trying to kill us. They are trying to take us away from our Savior. If you don't know, you don't know. Maybe you're looking at yourself right now and you're going, I... I don't know, I come to church and I know who Jesus is. Listen, knowing who Jesus is is not an academic event, right? You guys have heard me say this before. It's like I know of Tom Brady, but I can't call him on the phone and hang out. I don't know him, and guess what? Even more importantly, he doesn't know me. See, I can talk to Jesus because not only do I know him personally, but more importantly, he knows me. If you don't know, if you know Jesus, settle it. And don't settle it tonight when you get home. Don't settle it a week from now. Settle it now because none of us are guaranteed 10 more seconds. Listen, there is this We can debate all day, okay? Let's do it. Let's go through the book of Revelations together, and we'll just scan the whole book, and we'll just figure it out, and we'll just be the ones that know. But here's the reality. Since that's not going to happen, we have let ourselves believe that there's all these really easy-to-see end-time like signs, and until all those, that timeline, that perfect thing happens, like Jesus isn't coming back, the Bible tells me explicitly this. It will catch everybody in the world off guard. When it happens, there will be no more time to prepare. There will be no more time to get right. It will catch you 
off guard. And if you haven't settled it yet, it will be too late. You will be set ablaze like chaff if there is nothing eternal in your life. This is the last message in the Malachi series. And I hope that you have taken the time to look inside. To say, what am I doing? What does my life show my heart to be? I hope that at some point, believer or not, I hope you've felt exposed. That you have felt called out. Listen, that's not me doing it. I didn't write a single one of these sermons aiming at anybody in this room. I mean, I'm aiming at all of you. But the Holy Spirit, He's the one aiming at individuals. He's the one that's coming and knocking on your heart and going, are you listening? Are you listening? He's talking to you right now. That's what I, I had him say that for you. This is the last message in the Malachi series, and here's what I want you to hear. This series is not a do better series. It's not a do more series. It's not a you could do it, just try a little harder series. It is this and only this. The God of all the universe came to earth. He lived a perfect life, which you have no shot at. He died, which you have a great shot at. And then he came back to life. And he's the only person that has ever done it or ever will do it. And if that doesn't prove he's God, then I don't know what to tell you. And if you will put your faith and belief in him to save you, the Bible tells me this, that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise. I'm also told that God cannot lie. He won't do it. So if he says he will save those who call on his name, he means it. So whether you are a non-believer that needs to meet the Lord, a believer who needs to sacrifice some idols, or you just don't know, settle it now. Settle it tonight. There are people in this room who know Jesus Christ personally, and they would love to introduce you to him. If you're a believer, find one of your brothers or sisters in Christ and lay on them the burden of the sin that you are secretly holding on to, the idol that you haven't given up yet, and let them help you set it on fire. Don't leave tonight without letting your heart be made righteous, without letting it be rescued by a holy God who loves you dearly. Hey guys, this is Philip Jackson, pastor of young adults at Evergreen Baptist Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at Evergreen Church in South Tulsa, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. The mission of Reach Tulsa is to cultivate a young adult community that's defined by real transformation and a sincere pursuit of a godly life through training in biblical disciplines, personal development, and intentionally transitioning into independence as mature members of the body of Christ. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. 
Reach Young Adult Ministry is a part of Evergreen Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org.